Thank you, Carolina, and welcome everyone, and good evening to those of you in the UK in the evening. It's mid-afternoon here in Toronto, Ontario. My name's Cameron, and I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love this Zoom format. You know, I have to go to Holland in uh, July, and it's like a 14-hour flight round trip and four days of my life, but on Zoom, I can go anywhere in the world and arrive five minutes before the meeting. So it's pretty exciting to be able to carry the message and, uh, you know, with AA becoming a global village and, and to access that global village is an amazing thing. You know, one of the things I love to do when I'm in the rooms, I always like to ask the question, are you working a program? And, you know, I get a lot of different responses to that question. The most common response I get is, oh, yeah, I go to meetings. I go to meetings every day, sometimes three meetings a day. Meeting makers make it, 90 and 90. And I go, no, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Are you you're working with someone? Oh, yes, I've got a sponsor. I call my sponsor every day. I, my sponsor tells me who I can sleep with and how to manage my money, and I don't make a decision till I talk to my sponsor. Now, I hear a lot of weird stuff coming out of sponsors. You know, I remember this one person telling me that the sponsor told her she had to go to the largest meeting in Toronto, which was some 300-plus people, and she had to show up in her pajamas to show willingness. Like, who comes up with that kind of stuff? Then another guy tells me, or a woman calls me up and says, I'm so angry at my sponsor. I said, why is that? And she said, my sponsor told me in order for me to, to work the program, I had to clean his house twice a week. Now, Dr. Bob did say clean house, but I don't think he meant it quite so literally in this case. She's pissed. I remember another guy I'm talking to, he's building a backyard deck, and he's at the hardware store, buying screws. And he says, Cameron, I got to go. I got to call my sponsor, let him know what screws I'm buying. I'm thinking, this is not what sponsorship's about. And somebody's got a screw loose here. I don't know whether it's the prospect or the sponsor, but someone's got a screw loose. And I go, no, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, are you working with newcomers? And they look at me like I got three heads on. They go, newcomers? I'm still a newcomer. I've only been in the program two years. This is a selfish program. I got to work on me first. And you know what? I never see them hang around the rooms very long. Now, the untreated alcoholic has this uncanny ability to dig. They love digging. They dig holes, very deep holes. And being the nature of the untreated alcoholic, what do they do? They fall into their hole and they get stuck and they cry out for help. And some of the first people that try to help the untreated alcoholic down in the hole are family members, the spouses, the employer, and the friends. And, you know, they, they offer those frothy emotional appeals. They bail them out of trouble. They're forever extending the ladder down into the hole and say, please, please climb out of the hole and be with us. But being the nature of the untreated alcoholic, what do they do? They trade their ladder in for another bottle. They dig their hole a little deeper. And they realize they're down in the hole. And they cry out for help. And then the religious community comes along and says, Here, we have a solution for you. Let me kneel and pray with you for a while. Read this scripture. But because it's a program of faith without works, it avails the alcoholic very little power, and they remain stuck in their hole. Then the medical community comes along and says, Here, we have a solution for you untreated alcoholics. And they're very motivated to come up with solutions for us. They come up with such solutions as antibuse, 
methadone, suboxone, clorazepam, diazepam, parazepam. I remember my doctor saying to me, he says, Cameron, you're depressed. I said, you think? I've burned my life to the ground. Nobody wants to be in my life. Yeah, I'm a little depressed, but I'm trying to get off pills. I don't need more pills. And the trouble with the pharmaceutical intervention is the prescriptions run out, the pills run out, and the awful pain of being an untreated alcoholic comes down to bear on me, and I realize I'm still in the hole. Then the treatment center, the multi-billion dollar treatment center comes along with their two-year college-educated addiction counselors, and they go, here, we have a solution for you. It's called group. Y'all been to group? And you know, the trouble with group is they bring group into our meetings. I call them open, disgusting meetings. This is where you go to a meeting, you sit in a circle, there's no solution, there's no cross-sharing, no cross-talk, it's just problem, problem, problem problem. It's like an incessant Oprah wine fest. It's group therapy without a therapist. And by the end of the meeting, I'm a psychological casualty. There's been no experience, no strength, no hope. And now I need a meeting to fix the meeting I was at. You ever been to one of those meetings? They're awful meetings. And then the counselors always like to ask that question. How do you feel? And I'm thinking, how do I feel? As an untreated alcoholic, I have two feelings. I feel like drinking and I feel like murdering you. Those are the only two feelings I got. And then after about an hour of sharing the counselor, oh, you're all beautiful people, but I practice a professional class of therapy and I got to go pick up my paycheck, but I'll see you next week. And the untreated alcoholic realizes, hey, I'm still in the hole. Now I got good news and bad news. The good news is there is a way out of the hole. The bad news is if you be an alcoholic of the seemingly hopeless variety, chances are you're too dishonest, too selfish, too self-seeking, and too frightened to do the work, and you're going to die. And it's going to be an awful death. In the 18 years that I've been working with others, and I keep track of everyone I've ever worked with, it's a little over 5,000 people that I've taken the, through the steps, been fired over 2,500 times as a sponsor. Rarely do I find someone who will thoroughly follow the path. Out of the, uh, the 5,000, I've seen about 2,000 plus miracles. I mean real miracles. People so far down in the hole, you never think they could climb out. And to watch them climb out, recover, and then you know resume vital places with their families and communities and pay it forward to another alcoholic, man, you don't want to miss out on that. 41 are dead. 41 people that I've worked with are dead. Now, I bury most people to alcohol death. It's still the most dangerous drug out there. It can kill you when you drink it. It can kill you when you detox from it. It is a nasty substance. Out of the 41, nine hung themselves in sobriety. Why would someone hang themselves in sobriety? I'll come back with an answer to that question in a minute. So, I opened with, my name's Cameron, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I introduced myself as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous because I think there's a vast difference between being a member of this amazing fellowship and being an untreated alcoholic. So our stories are supposed to disclose in a general way what we're like, what happened, and what we're like today. Now, a lot of times I hear people describe what it was like. Or worse yet, they describe their war story and, and minutiae in detail. I always know when I'm in for a real drunkologue when the, 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 the speaker goes, I remember my first drink. 
I was in my mother's third trimester, and I realized I didn't drink like other fetuses, and I go, oh God, here we go, right? Now, is there anyone here today that doesn't know how to drink? We're all experts at drinking, right? So I'm not going to belabor that story. I'll qualify and share with you why I, I, I'm here today, but I'm not going to belabor the drinking story because we're all experts in drinking. What I really want to focus on is the way out of the hole. So what was I like as an untreated alcoholic? I love drinking. I love drinking more than anything. I love the effect alcohol has on me. I love it more than every job I've been fired from. I love it more than my children, my children's safety, my children's you know, health and welfare. I love it more than my own marriage. My wife would beg, plead, offer those frothy emotional appeals, threaten divorce. But I love the effect of alcohol more than my own marriage. I love the effect of alcohol so much in my life that I'm willing to risk my life for it. In the year 2000, my doctor diagnosed me with liver disease, and he said, Cameron, you got liver disease, you're going to die if you don't stop drinking. The first thought that came to my mind was, I need a drink right now. That's awful news. And I drank for three more years on that news. Now, the, the, the non-alcoholics, I call them muggles. I never liked earth people or normies. I call the non-alcoholics muggles. That's a Harry Potter term for non-wizard. My wife's a muggle. And my wife is what I call a JDD girl. Just don't drink. Now that really is the answer. Trouble is I can't seem to implement it because I'm like a dog that returns to its own vomit. You ever seen a dog eat something that makes it foully sick? What does the dog do? It throws it up and then eats the vomit, only to throw it up again, only to eat the vomit. That's what I'm like as an untreated alcoholic. I'm like a dog that returns to my own vomit. Now, I know the vomit is making me sick. I know my life is being burned to the ground, but I can't seem to figure out the reality of my situation. And it's baffling to me. Why? Because I've got this liar that lives in my head. You know, our big book talks about the mental blank spot, the strange phenomenon that parallels our sound reasoning that fails to hold us in check. I call it the liar. And my liar loves to drink. It doesn't want to give it up under any circumstance. So what it's done is it's built this research institute in my brain called Bullshit Inc. And it's working on new ideas, new excuses, new reasons, new justifications. That even though my life is burned to the ground, this time when I drink, somehow, someway, I'm going to be able to control and enjoy it. And here's the problem. The liar would always win the argument. Y'all relate to that liar that lives in the head? Especially those of you that are just coming back or new. You guys can relate to that liar that lives in our head telling us why we should pick up another drink. And it's a problem because I know I'm dying, but the liar's going to win the argument. Now, untreated, I'm restless, I'm irritable, I'm discontented, I'm bored, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. And I don't like feeling that way. So my solution is to drink. I drink bourbon every day. It brings out my inner asshole. And in the beginning, it seemed like the answer. Y'all remember when we first started drinking and that effect we got went, yeah, this is the way I want to be all the time. And in the beginning, it seemed like the answer. But as this illness progresses, it goes from that luxury of taking it or leaving it to a necessity in my life every day. 
Now, I'd like to tell you I'm just going to go to the pub, have a couple of pints and maybe a shot of bourbon and come home. But once I start drinking, I can't predict what it's going to look like. I don't know how long I'm going to drink for or how much. Could last a night, could last a day, a week, a month, could go on for a year or more. I have no idea. And at some point in this terrible carnage, this debacle of the spree, I emerge remorseful, full of horror and hopelessness. And I make a firm resolution not to do it again. And we've all done that too, right? Come off a binge, never again, never again. And you know what? If we hooked up lie detector tests to any one of us, I believe it would register as truthful. But here's the problem. I don't know how to live with the alcohol anymore but I can't live without it. And I'm told, go to meetings. And I go to the meeting thinking the meeting's the solution. And here's what I see a lot of alcoholics do. They go into the meeting, especially one of those open, disgusting meetings where there's no solution being presented, and they enter into what I call sodriety. And they dry out, and then they get restless, and irritable, and discontented, and bored, and depressed. And the liar comes out of remission and says, hey, we need our solution. And the liar's going to win the argument, and the alcoholic succumbs to the desire again, and out they go. And they pursue their love of alcohol on that wheel of misfortune. Spree, remorse, resolution. Spree, remorse, resolution. Pursuing their love of alcohol to the gates of insanity or death. Raise your hand if you know someone who's died from alcoholism. If you got it, it's a death sentence. And this is the horror of step one. It's the realization, I will drink again. And for me to drink again is to die. And there's nothing secular, nothing human that's going to stop this train wreck from happening. Now, one other thing I've seen in the rooms when, when alcoholics enter into sobriety, and this goes back to the suicide, they don't necessarily succumb to desire and go out again. They go crazy, and they end up taking their own lives. They, in, in my case, I've watched nine people hang themselves in sobriety, or sobriety as I call it, because they're insane. They can't live with it. They can't live without it. Do you know the suicide rates in 12 steps today is 80 times higher than normal society? An untreated alcoholic in the first five years of their sobriety is most likely to commit 80 times uh, higher than normal society suicide. And it's a real problem. And that statistic is in the Oxford Handbook to Psychiatry. It's a real problem. And again, this is the horror of step one. I will drink, I will use again. Yet being as, being as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's been 18 years since I've had any desire to drink. I went from drinking morning, noon, and night from the age of 20 to age of 46 where I have no desire to drink. How is that possible? I'm an alcoholic who doesn't drink. That's a paradox. That's the paradox of our program, because everything in my experience tells me I will drink again, yet I don't. And it's because when I came into these rooms, I was fortunate enough to meet someone who was armed with the facts about themselves. They knew what it was like to live in that hole. More importantly, they had a solution, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and a generosity of spirit as an ex-problem drinker. They showed me a way out of that predicament. And as a result of this amazing program, I was able to rebuild a destroyed marriage. My wife and I are celebrating 32 years of marriage this year. 
I was a violent alcoholic. I destroyed my family, but the principles of this program allowed me to make reparations and reconstruct. I have the love and trust of my two children. I have a 35-year-old daughter, 38-year-old son. My daughter comes to see me every, every week. We have dinner together. We play cards, watch movies. I have a really, really nice relationship with my daughter. My son's 38. He has an 11-year-old severely autistic boy. For me to be sober and to be there to help him with those challenges, that's a gift AA gives me day in and day out. My liver went back to normal after six years. During a meditation, I decided, I, you know, there's a line in the big book that says, go out and see what other religious people are doing. So I thought, well, I'm going to get a religious degree, you know, being a typical alcoholic. So I enrolled in the University of Toronto, 18th ranked Ivy League university in the world in my 50s. I'm 65 this year. And I graduated in 2016, top of my class in medical anthropology and religions. This program, I, I've started meetings, I've, I've occupied most of the positions at the area, I've served on nine conventions, I've been GSR, Treasurer, Secretary, um, AA has been very kind to me pre-COVID, has taken me to Spain, England, all across America, United States. Man, it is a stellar, stellar life being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what it means to me to be a member of this fellowship. I'm an alcoholic who doesn't drink. Now, how did I get here? Well, as I mentioned, I came into the rooms and I met this guy. And he approached me and he says, I'm watching you die, Cameron. Let me show you a way out of the hole. Now, we didn't go to another meeting. We went to a coffee shop with big books, and we opened them up. And the first thing he said to me, he says, Cameron, you are going to be a sponsor. The whole foundation stone of your recovery program rests on you being a sponsor. Do you know what it mentions in the big book in the first 88 pages before we get into the chapter working with others? It mentions 124 times work with another alcoholic. And they don't mean your sponsor. They mean work with the guy or the gal that's in the hole and show them how to recover. Bill and Bob understood the power of one alcoholic working with another. Bill watched Bob's back. Bob watched Bill's back. And they took care of each other. And they helped each other recover. And then they paid it forward. You know, that's the secret. That's another paradox of our program. Is it, It's not selfish. It's about being unselfish. Whenever I worked on my sobriety, I could never stay sober. But when I cared more about your sobriety and gave unconditionally to you, my sobriety always got taken care of out of left field. I don't know why it works that way. Called the law of harvest. We reap what we sow. But that seems to be the spiritual dynamic of this program. And it's a paradox. By helping you get well, I stay well. When I was at university, I, I was doing a research on, on um, a matter that involved AA. Because AA is an alternative healing system. And medical anthropology is the study of, of humans and their, their uh, healing system. And I came across this Baltimore, Maryland drug study. It was done in the year 2000. And they had 500 injection drug users. Now, these were heroin and cocaine injection users. And they, they had three groups. They had those with sponsors, those without sponsors, and those that sponsored others. And at the end of one year, they looked at their sobriety rates as they followed them into the rooms of AA and NA at the time. At the end of one year, a very interesting thing came about. Those with sponsors and those without sponsors, there was absolutely no difference in their sobriety rate, which was about 30%. 
Now that signifies two things. One, you're just as likely to sober up with or without a sponsor. And two, having a sponsor is no predication of power. I am not the power. I will fail you. I'll say something that's going to piss you off or I'm not going to be there when you need me the most. I will fail you as a power. Those that sponsored others, 75% of the group was still sober at the end of the first year. Once again, signifying all the power, all the efficacy of a 12-step program is availed to us when we sponsor others. We get to keep it by giving it away. We pay it forward. I'm a big book sponsor. I use the big book as my basic uh, recovery narrative. I use that narrative along with my own experience and drawing on the experience of the newcomer. And I bring those three elements together and you see some pretty miraculous things start to occur. Now, the biggest controversy I get in the rooms, and one thing about the big book, but I love about the big book, it's written like a recipe. You follow the recipe exactly as it's laid out. We awaken our minds to this sixth sense, this intuitive knowing, this power greater than ourselves that allows us to easily control that desire to drink. The biggest controversy I get into is how fast should we take the newcomer through the steps? Should we take a year? I don't think we got a year. Not with the power of alcohol. Think of what the power of alcohol has seduced you to do. It's a powerful, powerful substance. We need the power that's greater than that. Do we have 90 days? I don't think so. Do we? I don't even I think even 30 days is dicey. So when I take a newcomer through all 12 steps, I do it in 7 to 10 days. Lack of power, that's my dilemma. I will drink again. So my job as a sponsor is to get you through those steps as fast as you can take it and get you out there working with others so you can enjoy the same power that I enjoy. I get into a lot of controversy with that, but if you know your history, you know, uh, Bill was seven days sober when he started frantically looking for other alcoholics. Ebby Thatcher was 60 days sober when he carried the message to Bill Wilson. Dr. Bob was two weeks sober when he carried the message to Bill Dotson, AA number three. They all worked it quickly. They all knew the power was in one alcoholic helping another alcoholic. And so that got me on my journey. And then step two, you know, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves is going to restore us to sanity. What does that mean? Well, came to believe in first that we're going to go through a process. We're going to wake up to this power. Most alcoholics, when they come into the rooms, are barely toilet trained apes. They eat, they defecate, they fornicate, and that's about all they're good for. And, and, you know, that's the basic bottom line to a species. But we got these massive prefrontal lobes that God has given us. And if we can, and when we transcend that reptilian fight flight brain of ours, we can engage these prefrontal lobes and transcend to a different kind of an experience, a different kind of power deep down within. That's another one of our paradoxes. Where do we find this power greater than ourselves? It's not in a doorknob or a tree or your, it might be in your sponsor or the room, but how do you access? We find the great reality deep down within ourselves. It is only there that we can find it. And that's a paradox. Where do I find this power greater than me, greater than the booze? Deep down within. And step two is a very simple step. It requires three things for a willingness to believe. One, let the testimony of others bear witness to this power. You all think of someone you know in the program who's gone down the rabbit hole as far as you've gone or even further. 
and claim a power greater than themselves restored them to sanity. Let their testimony bear witness to this power at work. The second thing, the ability to think honestly. And the third thing, to search diligently within ourselves. And you too can join us on this broad highway. You know, there was a great American sponsor. His name was Mark Houston, who passed away many years ago. He used to tell a story about a guy that goes duck hunting with his friend. And he takes his dog and they shoot a duck and it drops in the middle of the pond. And his dog gets up and walks across the water and picks up the duck and brings it back. His friend doesn't say anything. Shoots another duck, drops in the middle of the pond. The dog gets up, walks on the water, picks up the duck and brings it back. Still he doesn't say anything. So he turns to his friend and he says, Hey, do you see anything wrong with my dog? And the guy goes, Yeah, that dog can't swim. Missing the miracle of a dog walking on water. Most alcoholics, the untreated alcoholic comes in the rooms. They're not aware. They can't see the dog walking on water. But those of you that are self-admitted alcoholics who don't drink anymore, that's the dog walking on water. And that's why our stories are so important. Every AA member has a story to share. And somewhere in our fellowship, there is an ear that desperately needs to hear that story so that they can say to us, hey, I'm like you, you're like me, but you don't do it anymore, and I want what you got. They see the dog walking on water. In step three, you know, we make a decision to go a different way in life. I make a decision to turn my, my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand it. What do we mean by that? What do we do? Well, I'm going to fire the liar. Why should I fire the liar? Who's running my brain? The liar. And it's always winning the argument. So I got to fire the liar and I'm going to hire God as my employer. He's the principal. I'm the agent. I love that line in the step three. We're agents of God, right? To be an agent of God. I always think that'd be a cool business card to hand out in the rooms. Hi, my name's Cameron F., agent of God. How can I be helpful? Because that's the job we're taking on. The Cameron business is bankrupt physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I'm in a new business now. God, Inc. He's the principal. I'm the agent. And then we have that wonderful step three prayer meditation where every morning I do my step three prayer followed by a meditation where I affirm my commitment to do God's will in my day. It's like my daily baptism into the program daily. I know my one, I know my two. That's firmly in place. But the step three keystone is a daily affirmation that I'm doing God's will. Now, a lot of people think, Doing 12 steps is about quitting alcohol. But if you understand your step one proposition, we can't quit. We will drink again. So what our, what our program promises this is that by doing God's will, instead of being dishonest and resentful and selfish and fearful, I live my day and all my affairs as an honest, pure, unselfish, loving person. And in, in the employment of those spiritual principles, I access a power that lets me easily control my desire to drink. That's the key. That's really what the program is all about. Accessing that power that lets me easily control that desire to drink. The first time I tried to meditate and connect to this power, man, I got so much resentment going on in my head. Fears, guilt, shame, all these yap-yap voices going off. I couldn't hear God, let alone touch God within me. So in steps four and five, 
we do we go through a process where we get right with ourselves. We look at our resentments, our fears, and our harms to others, and we uncover our moral defects, our character shortcomings. And when I did this process, and what I love about step four and five is in this process of getting right with myself, I understand what blocks me from God. I understand what the bondage of Cameron looks like. What does it look like? I'm a selfish, self-seeking I'm, I'm fearful. I'm fear of being invisible, uh, being forgotten. My self-seeking motives are validation, recognition from others, be the center of attention. I suffer false pride. I get arrogant. I get bigoted. I get misogynistic, misanthropic, hateful, immoral, vulgar. And I remember seeing these lists of character defects in every one of my destroyed relationships and resentment, fears, and harms. And my sponsor said to me when he looked at that list, he says, you see that list, Cameron? That's your resume. That's who you are as an untreated alcoholic. Next time you go for a job interview or post an eHarmony profile, you need to put that list there because that's who they're getting. And I thought, that's really objectionable. But what's great about understanding our character defects and what blocks me from God, what the bondage of Cameron looks like, it reveals God's will for me. So instead of being bigoted or misogynistic or misanthropic or hateful or gossiping, my job is to be kind, courteous, respectful, have humility, to be unselfish, to be helpful to others. And so now I have a track to run on. I understand what blocks me from power and what gives me access to the power. Now, if that's all we needed to know, we'd only have five steps. But as we all know, behavioral modification doesn't work for us. Cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy doesn't seem to work for us alcoholics. So we need a divine intervention. And step, step six and seven is about getting right with God. In step six, I see how futile, fatal, and destructive those character defects are in my life. And I say to God, I don't want to be this man anymore. Take them away. You know, and the more, how, how, more I see how futile, fatal, and destructive those character defects, God's willing to take them. They vanish like a fart in the wind. But if I argue for any of my character defects, well, congratulations, I get to keep them. So in step six and seven, I get right with God. I say, take these away and give me the courage and the strength to be the man I'm meant to be in, in that fifth column of doing God's will. And so I get right with God in six and seven. And I use the step seven prayer as my closing prayer every day. So I start my day with an awakened consciousness. And I close my day with that awakened consciousness, being mindful throughout my day. Am I living in a character defect or am I employing God's will? And then in steps eight and nine, I get right with others. I take the spiritual principles that I learn that I need to bring to those relationships and I start making reparations and I start making those amends and I get right with others. And that vehicle of one to nine rockets me into that fourth dimension into that spirit world. Now look at the power we're building. In step one, we have no power. We die on step one. Step two, I know there's power out there because I see it bear witness in others. Step three, I make a decision to look for the power. Step four and five, I realize what blocks me from power and what gives me access to power. And by eight and nine, I'm wielding a power through me that cleans up my past. And I'm launched into this fourth dimension of existence. Now the key is, how do I stay here? 
And the disciplines of step 10 and 11 is our program for living, our design for living that works without alcohol. And I employ that throughout my day. And in doing so, it allows me to easily access that power that lets me control the desire to drink. And then having had this spiritual experience, I try to carry this message to other alcoholics and practice these principles in all my affairs. Now, a good balance program, take care of family first. Take care of what God has given you. Then work. you got to be self-supporting. If you're not self-supporting, you can't take care of family. And then in your spare time, part-time as an avocation, we carry the message to the guy or the gal that still suffers. Nothing ensures immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when all those other activities fail. And when you sit down with someone who's so far in the hole and you don't think they'll ever climb out, but that you've won their confidence and you give them the program and to watch them climb out of the hole and recover and then to bear witness to them paying it forward to another alcoholic, and you don't want to miss out on that. It's the best dope there is. I call it the spiritual dope, the God dope. This is really good dope. It's better than any alcohol I've ever consumed. And look at the power of step 12. God turns us into healers. We heal the seemingly hopeless. Everybody's failed the untreated alcoholic. The family, the, the, the church, the medical community, the, the treatment center community. Yet we, as lay alcoholics, armed with the facts about ourselves, our common solution, and a generosity of spirit, we heal the seemingly hopeless. Now that's power. So the next time you hear the alcoholic crying out for help, I do a workshop called 12 Steps in 4 Hours where we outline the program of action. I like to say it only takes a few hours to learn how it works and the rest of your life to practice it. You know, when you hear the alcoholic crying out for help, you know, business is booming, folks. Throw them a freaking bone. It's, it's, it, show them how to work it. Right? You're not going to fuck them up any more than they're already fucked up. So throw them a bone. You just might save their soul. So when I hear the alcoholic crying out for help, what, what should we do? We should jump into the hole with them. And the alcoholic turns to us, bewildered, and go, now we're both in the hole. But we can turn to our brothers and sisters with a wink in our eye and we can say, it's okay. I've been here before. I got a way out. I got a way out for more experience, strength, and hope. I got a way out to walk hand in hand with the sunlight of the spirit. I got a way out to be an intelligent agent, a spearhead of God's ever advancing creation. And I'm for that. How about you? God bless. See you on the firing lines of recovery, everybody.